0: This is Les Strong, and you're listening to the Full and Focus podcast.
1: Welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name is J-Mac, your host. The international break is over. God, that felt like a long one, this one. And thank goodness we can wash away the stain of such ugly scenes from from Bulgaria with a crisp white laundry detergent that is Fulham FC this Saturday at Stoke. How will we line up? Can we start turning draws into wins again? And how do we feel about those pesky potters? Dunlop and Morgan are here to talk all this with me on the other side of this. Mr. Matt Baclair and Baldwin chatting about some bloke called Chris Bed. Take it away, Mr. French.
2: Fulham. Right, I'm joined by Matt Baldwin to talk about a player who had a tough start to his Fulham career. But slowly but surely, things turned around for him and he got the Fulham fans on side with some excellent performances under numerous managers. Arguably, this Northern Ireland International's most memorable moment happened at the ground we visit this weekend. I'll give you Chris Baird, or Bairdinho as he's more affectionately known these days. He signed for the Whites in July 2007 for around £3 million and followed fellow Northern Ireland international teammates Stephen Davis and Aaron Hughes to the club and was joined by David Healy shortly afterwards as Laurie Sanchez tried to replicate the success he had in charge of Northern Ireland at Fulham. He was Southampton's Player of the Year the previous season in a team that also contained Gareth Bale. Baldo, did this sign-in excite you at all at the time?
3: Um, It did, I think, of the... You know, Northern Irish players that we brought in during during that spell. I think Chris Bed was the one that rather excited me the most because I'd heard a lot about him. I think, yeah, as you know, as you said, he won Southampton's Player of the Season, and I think he also got in like uh, the Championship Team of the Year the year before, uh, or that, or the year before we signed him. So he came with sort of relatively high expectations, and and yeah, so of that group, I thought, hang on, we may we may have something here because I think. It was around about that time that we started sort of phasing out Moritz Volts and Liam Rossini as the right back. So I thought, "Hang on, we we've we've got a decent enough replacement here." So yeah, of the line, I thought I thought it's it a fantastic move.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're here to talk about Baird, but I think a lot, there was a lot of expectation on David Healy because he was knocking them in for Northern Ireland. And he, uh, he did he score against England in that game that Northern Ireland he won one there at Tim, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and as, as I said, Stephen Davis too, who was. It was, ended up being a real disappointment for Fulham, but then went on to have a decent career elsewhere afterwards. So, yeah, I, I, I don't really remember knowing much about Chris Baird, but it was in that summer when we seemed to make a signing almost every day and spend quite a bit of money as well. And there was just kind of a big question mark over whether or not Laurie Sanchez was going to be a decent manager in the Premier League. And, and it turned out not to be. But anyway, he, he was soon done away with and, and the rest is history. Um, looking back to that season of 2007 and eight though, uh, Chris Baird made a less than impressive start to his Fulham career and fell out of favour after starting at right back after a few games. I remember he wasn't particularly popular amongst Fulham fans. People were getting on his back after a few mistakes. Did you expect him to leave once Roy Hodgson took over and we stayed up without him playing
3: much of a part? Um, I wasn't hundred percent sure because I think when Roy Hodgson came in, there was just a whole load of just chaos around what was what was going to happen, and whether again, whether or not any of the players that are still with us were going to stay, or whether or not Roy was going to bring in a whole batch of fresh faces, which he ended up doing with like them. But talking about Chris Bed, you talked about his rough start. So I remember the first time I saw him because the first couple of weeks of the season I was on holiday, but the first game I was back for was the Tottenham Hotspur game, the you know the famous three-three Kamara overhead kick. And Gareth Bale absolutely tore him apart that day. He was having an having an absolute nightmare. But for some reason, I can't remember if it was like a goal line clearance or a blocked shot or something along those lines. There was something in the second half that, for some reason, everyone seemed to seem to forgive him for because he was given a torrid time that day. But he just made one magnificent moment so magnificent i can't remember it fully but i just remember that it happened um and it and yeah it gave us this idea that right okay maybe he can maybe he can do something in the future but yeah to say that he was um had a horrid start is very much an understatement because well in fence the whole team was pretty poor the first half of that season so it was just uh, i think it was just a case of him being you know a bad apple in a bunch of bad apples
2: Yeah, I I thought he'd leave after that season, to be honest. You had Paul Stalteri playing uh, right back and uh, obviously Hughes and Hangland eventually playing centre-half and forming that formidable partnership as well. Uh, That that started in the second half of that season and I just think I thought he will be gone at the end of the season. But credit to him, he he stayed and stuck at it. Um, During the 2009-10 season, uh, he often played in central midfield which wasn't what he was signed for, but he kind of made that position, uh, you know, almost his own for a a period of time. And it's probably a position that he may be best remembered for whilst at Fulham. Um, Where did you see his most effective position when he was at Fulham?
3: Um, his because he played he played very much all over the place. Well, I think his best position. I don't think he really got a chance to play that often. I think he was best suited to be a defensive midfielder. You know, once we saw Dixon too, who started to slowly be drifted out of the squad. I thought he would have been an absolutely perfect defensive midfield partner uh, for Danny Murphy. You know, Chris as the as the rock at the heart of that midfield, and then Danny Murphy sort of distrib- distributing the passes elsewhere. So yeah, he played right back. He played left back. He I'm sure he dabbled at centre-back, I'm sure. As you mentioned, nine ten, 10 he um, played in central midfield as well. He was a jack-of-all-trades, jack and, and we're thankful for him for it. But, yeah, personally, I think it was a, a defensive midfield would have been the position that he could have he really made his own, but he's never really got the chance to.
2: You talk about him playing centre-half, and I haven't researched this, so it may be my memory playing tricks on me, but I seem to remember he scored a cracking own goal, maybe against West Ham at the Hammersmith end. Do you remember that? Oh, uh,
3: was it? Was it a cross coming over from the wing, and he just headed it in? Yeah, I, I think I, I think he probably I, buried it. I think that was against Birmingham. I was think it? that, yeah, I think that was Birmingham. I, then that was the game. Samora scored with a free kick in the last minute. I know exactly the goal you're talking about. I can picture it vividly, and I think it was from that game.
2: Belting finish though, from what I remember of it.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, well, it, the fact he couldn't have done done it more often. You no, know, in the right end, it, yeah. it's just a, It's just a bit of a shame.
2: Well, we'll come on to his goals in a minute, but I just wanted to touch upon the Europa Games first, because I don't really remember much about him playing in the Europa Games. But looking it up, he he played for Danny, in, instead of Danny Murphy, rather, uh, in the Juventus game, because Danny Murphy was suspended for his stupid sending off against Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, I know you've got a great memory of that season. What do you remember of Baird in Europe?
3: Um, if I'm being brutally honest, my abiding memory of him was from the Europa League final. And just thinking, if John Pantel had been playing, I reckon we'd have won that game. Because I think, because it was for Diego Forlan's winner, I think it was. he, uh, Chris Bear got chased down by, could have been anyone, I've tried to erase that. Could have been Aguero for all I know, could have been Reyes, could have been any of them lot. Um, got chased down and beaten to the ball and then crossed in then we know the rest uh so that was really my body memory but you know we we're here to we're here to praise him not to say how bad he was but yeah his performances in the in that juventus game in particular because wasn't he with jonathan greening in central midfield was that
2: what in in the final in the
3: juventus game i could swear it was oh. him and jonathan greening in mid, in central midfield and, and, and i it, it, it was and then stephen kelly at back, and you just think how the hell did we no, managed to beat Juventus with that team.
2: No, it must yeah. have been Dixon, Dixon two who because Dixon too, who set, set, set up the Dempsey the, goal, didn't he? I could Maybe swear Greening, Greening, Greening
3: played on. a role. I could swear Greening was, oh, well, I probably dumped it in the joy that was the Clint Dempsey goal that we've talked about ad nauseum yeah. Um, previously. Yeah, so my, yeah, so my abiding memory would be the Europa League final, sadly, but that's not to discredit anything he did during the rest of the campaign in which, you know, every single player was phenomenal and he was and again he was just part of part of a great team. Yeah,
2: agreed. Well the reason we're talking about the man who was eventually to become affectionately known as Berdinho this week is of course with one eye on the Stoke game this weekend and perhaps Stoke away in December twenty ten was his finest hour in a Fulham shirt. Talk me through what happened that day.
3: Well I can't remember which order it came in, but I know one of the there was one from a free kick and there was one from an absolute thunderbolt. The
2: Thunderbolt um, was the first one.
3: The Thunderbolt was the first one. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so I remember watching it at home, sitting on my floor, um, on a dodgy internet stream because that's that's what we used to do back in back in the day before all this HD
2: internet streams. Yeah,
3: exactly. Before all the HD internet streams, this was back in the day where you couldn't tell what was going on, and it was all being described in a language that you couldn't really recognise. Yeah, just being incredibly amazed by. I think I was reading on no. Friends of Fulham or one of the other forums where you know, everything was being updated live and I think the forum was like 30 seconds ahead so you see oh my god what a goal oh my god what a goal um, what a screamer sort of thing and then you're waiting to see right who's going to scare him. hang on Chris Baird did that how the hell has that happened um, so it was great and then the free kick as well just another fantastic masterpiece why that didn't become the norm or like the prelude to everything. Why, why wasn't he on free kick duty more often going forward is, is the question I want to know.
2: Maybe Chris Baird was the last center after score a free kick for Fulham.
3: <laughs> maybe. Which is
2: what we were talking yeah. about on the last pod.
3: It was, although I think he was playing left back that day. So yeah, there may be a, yeah, maybe Alfie Morser was watching Chris Baird videos in the warm-up and thought, hang on, I could do this.
2: <laughs> but he couldn't. Anyway, so the the preamble to that game, of course, was that we hadn't won since the end of October. And we've got up to Stoke, a place notoriously difficult to get any points because their reputation back then was uh, you know, they were they were quite a physical side. And we've got up there, and Chris Baird stuck one in the top corner from about 25 yards from a, from a knockdown from one of their defenders. And then all inside the first 10 minutes, buries a free kick into the bottom corner as well. From I think Danny Murphy touched it to Andy Johnson or maybe the other way around. And then he's just come up and hit it. And we even had Danny Murphy on the pitch at the time. So why Danny Murphy wasn't taking the free kick, I've no idea. But that one worked absolutely spectacularly. And we went on to win 2-0. Was I've it 2-0 that
3: game? game? I could swear it was 2-1. Oh, well, obviously. No, no, so, 2-0, 2-0. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've done the research. You've done the research for this. I'm just some imbecile that's answering the questions. Yeah, but yeah, and and that, yeah, absolutely. Um, And that was that was really the spark, wasn't it, for, for the rest of that season? Because I think after that get after that game, we saw a complete change in... Style of play under Mark Hughes, and I don't think we really, I we well, we obviously lost games in between that, but I don't think any team properly came and you know dominated us apart from Liverpool right at the end of the season. I think after that game, we just went strength to strength and ended up finishing was it eighth that year, maybe ninth, somewhere yeah, along really. those lines. I remember, I, I remember that was the spark that finally, ring, hang on, we're actually not that, we're not a bad team. And a word on the green and gold kit that we were wearing that day. I knew, I knew this was going to get mentioned. Stuff today that was an absolutely <laughs> underrated kit. Underrated. Was, I, I absolutely oh. loved it, and because wasn't that whole? It was to do with like Harrods, a hundred yeah. and a hundred celebration or something. Because of, of course, how fired owned Herod yeah. at the time. It was Harrod's It was brilliant. I quite like to. See, I quite like to see that come back. You know, one day, personally.
2: I mean, when I, when I think of that kit, I immediately think of Chris Baird scoring those two goals. I can't remember us ever wearing it any other time. I'm sure we did, but that's all I can remember, that game.
3: Yeah, same.
2: All right, well, let's talk about your favourite Bairdinho memory then. Um, we've got the famous or infamous, let's say, chinning of Jimmy Bullard, the, uh, the two goals at Stoke. He got a goal away at Reading, and he also got a, a winner at home to Aston Villa the week before that. That goal at Reading—anything that particularly stands out for you?
3: Yeah, it's the, it's the winner against Aston Villa because I distinctly remember—I distinctly remember fans leaving, um, sort of on the 88th minute. I don't know what minute Chris Baird scores. It could have been injury time. Could have been the 99th. It was very like late, that. wasn't it? It was incredibly late. And I just remember my only memory of that game, and my only reaction when he scored, was to turn round and shout at the people who were leaving, to sort of, "Well, you missed that! What utter idiots!" I've, I've turned the language down slightly. What utter, utter idiots you are! The game's not over. It was my abiding memory. And just, and again, going on a, a bit of a rant on the Fulham forums afterwards, just basically saying, "Right, own up! Who have you left the ground early? Shame on you!" Again, words to words to that effect. So that's probably my abiding memory of Chris Bed in what in one of his five goals. I want to say for Fulham four. could have been four. four, four, four goals for Fulham. Yeah, four goals. It's classic,
2: classic Baldo behaviour, isn't it? I mean, one of these days we're going to be doing a feature on you, mate, and we're going to be coming up with our favourite Baldo memory. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It is, but thankfully those they um they stay within the podcast chat, so that's <laughs> not going to happen.
2: Not not always, if I get my way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so Bedingo eventually left on a free transfer after six seasons and signed for Reading. Do you remember him leaving? How did you feel when he left?
3: Um, I, f- I remember feeling slightly disappointed when he left because. Again, we had we had this utility player. You know, whenever we're short a left back or a right back, or a central midfielder or a centre back, we know that we've got a reliable, um, whoever you know, whatever role it may be. You know, waiting in the wings to take over. So if ever we went through an injury crisis, we could always say, "Right, Chris Baird, up you come." So yeah, I was slightly annoyed that we that we lost out. You know, not just a, not just a good player, but a, a very useful player, and the fact that he signed for for Reading. Of all teams was was just was just rather bizarre. Those, that's that's all I can really recall of it.
2: Um, for, from his point of view, though, you, you've got to think: Do I want to be just a backup player for Fulham uh, in case anybody else gets injured? Because arguably, there's a case for him to start.
3: Yeah, absolutely. There was a, you know, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna criticize him for moving to Reading. I just thought it was a, I just thought it was a bit bizarre because it was a, you know, a bit of a step down. But yeah, in in sort of in sort of anyone's career, you can't really blame them for wanting to play first team football. I have no idea if he got first team football as a result because it's Reading and I can't stand them and I try to avoid them in any situation that I can. Um, so yeah, you you can't you can't really get angry at him in the same way that I know. I was incredibly angry at Jimmy Bullard at the time. I mm. I wasn't I wasn't exactly angry at Chris Baird for leaving in that in that sort of sense.
2: Well, his contract was just up and he left on a free, so fair play, and everyone everyone wished him well, I think. Um he did, of course, come back on loan from Derby for a few months in the latter part of 2016, following spells with Burnley and West Brom, having lost his place in the team at Pride Park to Cyrus Christie of all people. Do you remember anything about his return? And they say never go back. And who'd have thought that after his first season, that his return would have been celebrated?
3: Yeah, it sort of touches on what we were talking about with Clint Dempsey when we did the you know pro- player pro- profile for him. You talk about never go back, and his second spell again wasn't exactly the most memorable. But then again, it was the second. It was the it was the latter half of uh, Kanovic's first season so that that yeah. whole yeah that whole second half of the season was not really wasn't really the greatest you know apart from us vaguely being threatened with relegation at yeah. some stage but yeah again again yeah again I was happy that he came back because again all the memories and I remember everyone being excited I you know I think maybe his wife or girlfriend one of the two um not saying he has I, both I, I, just I can't, remember. I, I just can't remember I just can't remember which one it was like, <laughs> it, wife oh, Slash girlfriend, how about that? I uh, basically to say, you know, we're coming home. Can't wait to be back at, you know, the Craven Cottage along those lines. And I remember everyone sort of being very hyped up and, you know, excited about it. But as but as we've discussed, the second time round is never quite as good as the first. And you know, Chris Bed second stint of Fulham, again wasn't wasn't really all that memorable. But I can't remember if he scored a goal. I can't remember if he got sent off. I can't remember if he gave away any penalties. It it, it just sort it just sort of amounted uh, amounted to nothing. I, I remember being there, but his first game back in the cotton again, everyone giving him a standing ovation um, when he came on. But other than that, it it was really enough. It was really a really a nothing uh, return.
2: Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Sadly, all I remember is being at the Medeski stadium and him coming on as substitute, I think, and giving him a good, Good round of applause and a cheer, but I don't remember anything. But then I, I don't remember anything much about that season anyway. It was just a bit bit rubbish. All I do remember is when Slav took over just before, um, well, around Christmas time, I just remember there being a picture on the internet of Slav sat on this plane saying, I'm on my way, something like that. But, it, it, you know, the rest of that season was a bit of a write-off. So Baird announced his retirement early this year. Uh, in February, talk to me about how he's regarded amongst Fulham fans
3: these days. Uh, I think I think the majority of the fans would, you know, re- remember him fondly. You know, you mentioned earlier about how you know how disastrous the first season was, but he, he he sort of picked himself up afterwards, and you know, he may not go well. He certainly won't go down as you know a great player, but he'll certainly go down as you know, everyone's going to remember where you know going to remember Chris Baird and have fond memories, much in the same way John Panseil. He's never going to go down as Fulham's greatest right back. But at the same time, he was great. He was great for us. And everyone's going to have great memories. I don't think anyone is going to have a bad word to say about him. You know, when you first think of Chris Baird, no one's going to say how terrible he was in the first half of his first season. Everyone's going to go. Except us earlier
2: on this evening, of course.
3: Except for us, yeah, obviously. <laughs> well, that's cause, That's because you structured the question. But you talk, you talk, bloke in the pub, and everyone, and he'll say, yeah. "Yeah, good utility player. Good, you know, good man. Yeah. No one, no yeah. one. Their first memory isn't going to be a bad one." And that's he's really... a
2: bit, he, hes a cult hero, isn't
3: he? Yeah, I th- the fact that Berdino has sort of stuck around in, in this in this sense. You know, how many of the players from really from that Europa League team? Basically, I still you know get referred to by their nickname or by or as Vim, uh, not vehemently talking about the last part um, as fondly as you know as Chris Baird does. Yeah, it, it's just weird that it, it's never Chris Baird; it's always Berdineo. So the yeah. fact that his nickname has sort of outlasted his actual name, I, th- I think, is is just is just a testament to him.
2: Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And he was given that nickname from from memory for those strikes at Stoke just because they were so magnificent. So. It's, it's good that that will always be what you associate him with. So, yeah, yeah. Good, good for him. All right. Well, as I said before, he scored four goals and he played 165 games for Fulham. Rate his career out of 10.
3: Um, It's sort of going back to what I was saying earlier. It's nothing spectacular. Nothing, does apart from, apart from I, I, I hate having to bring it up every time, but it, it, it happened. Apart from the bad start, he, again, he picked himself up. I'm going to say somewhere between a, about about a six, six and a half to a seven, somewhere along those lines, you know, a dependable man. But when you go back and look at really his whole time, if you had to pick an 11 of all the players he played with during that time, he's never going to get into your first team.
2: Yeah, I think that he's one of those players who, when he played for you, you probably, aside from that start, always give him at least a seven out of 10. So I think a seven out of 10 is fair. Very reliable player, played could play anywhere, so yeah, seven out of ten sounds fair. All right, Baldo, thank you for that. Let's pass it back to the guys to do
1: the Stoke preview. Fulham, thank you very much, Frenchie, and thank you very much, Mr. Reese. All right, guys, well, let's talk about Stoke then. Let's talk about Stoke this coming Saturday at the Britannia Stadium. Um, but first, actually, let's quickly talk about the positives of the international break in fact uh don why don't you start us off was well, mr tim ream did well for you didn't he
4: uh mixed reviews you know we played cuba big whoop you know it's like you guys playing gibraltar probably i'd compare it that way but uh yeah we we, we beat up on cuba no problems there uh, you know I, I i love tim ream but he is prone to making mistakes. And what I mean by that is like in the Charlton game, Charlton got a cross. They put the cross in. It's kind of fumbled around in the box. Tim Ream kind of gets his foot on it, pokes it out. It only goes as far as the outside of the box and a goal ends up happening. Well, he did the same thing sadly in the uh, Canada game and it caused the goal. So yeah, it is what it is. Uh, But he was captain for the fourth time, so that's very positive. Uh, It's probably one of the only positives I can take out of that game for Tim Ream. So, you know, the other big thing, though, the really big thing to me, at least, is Mitro again is on fire. Did did you guys happen to catch his goal? Any of the game, the highlights?
0: I saw them sort of pop. They're coming up on the highlights on the um, the uh, Fulham Twitter and a couple other things. You know, Um, he
4: he was the right man in the right place again for two goals, and I believe. That rounds him out for 30 international goals now.
0: they were I mean, they were proper sort of strikers finishes, weren't they? they were proper, you know, combined oh, total right of man, right sort place, of like five yards out, I think.
4: Yeah, right man, right place. You, you got to love that. So, you know, mm. uh, J-Mac, I really hope that we can start doing what Serbia has been doing for him and just let him be that poacher in the right place, right time and start getting some balls in for him. I know he's got 11 goals for us, but... I think he could do a lot better if we had a little more service
1: to him. I completely agree, and I think actually we should talk about Stefan Johansson. His international duty, he captained uh, the side against Spain. Uh, came off, I think, in around the fifty-eighth minute for uh, Sorloff, I believe his name is. Did did very well. Did very well, and good thing he came off uh, early enough because it gives me an idea that he may be starting potentially this Saturday. But we'll come to that, and we'll also quickly say that uh, who is the other international person on duty who did well.
4: Give congrats to Steve Sess. He got to come on.
1: Oh, really? That was for the under-21s, wasn't it? Or the under-18s? Or yeah. Something? No, under-21s. Yeah. Under-21s, yeah. I
4: think I read that he was a key part of their third goal. I didn't get to see it, but I think that's what I read, is he was a key part of their third goal. So good for him. Made the international yeah. team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, this this... All right, we talked about Mitchell and the Internationals. Well done. That's actually the only shining light that we can say about the Internationals because of recent ugliness with uh, England. But yes, this Saturday, the Britannia Stadium. I mean, what are your thoughts then, guys, how we should line up for this game? I mean, is it time that you think that Bobby Ree should be a starter in place of Cavalero? Or is just there are maybe another sort of forward role? Because we can all agree that we're not really sure about him as the central midfield role anymore. Uh, Morgan, what are your thoughts on the general lineup if we should change anything at all? Uh, I think we should probably be going with the same line-up at
0: the start of the second half against uh, Charlton. I thought Stephen Sess was injured, but maybe he's uh, maybe he's actually fit again now. But I would be sort of tempted to go with doy at right-back for this one. I think mm. you've got to bring Harry Arter back in. Um, I think he just adds that bit of solidity that although Harrison Reed's come in and done really well, I think for this game, you're playing against a team who need the points. They've just had a fairly sort of uh, inconveniently timed international break, having just won a game for the first time this season. So I think you bring Arter in, you have Steph Joe sitting back with him. Uh, and then uh, in the midfield, yes, you've got to play Bobby Reed. I think. You know, he did really well in the last game when he came on. I would have him and Cavallero on the pitch at the same time and mm-hmm. have Knockhart on the bench. Just to start, and then with obviously with Kearney uh, in the middle. But the thing is, you look at uh, where Reed plays, and you know he he can play on the left, he can play on the right, but is he better through the middle? But then, where do you put Kearney? Do you put him out on the right cut in, left to cross? But that's not really his best position. So I think you've got a bit of an issue there. But um, I would definitely have him starting. I think he deserves his chance. And I think um whilst I don't think Cavallero or Knockhart have done anything wrong, I think, you know, we've we've uh, touched on their shortcomings, but they've neither of them have sort of done badly, and obviously Cavallero scored that great goal against Charlton. Um so I think we need to sort of give Reed a go, bring Nockart on, you know, as the game wears on and the Stoke players are tiring. But I think, you know, that's gonna be important because the Stoke team They're going to be quite, they're going to try as they might be quite resilient. Um, And I'm sure Mm. over the last sort of two weeks since the last game, Nathan Jones will be putting sort of drumming into them. The importance of playing tight against us and hitting us on the counter. So obviously, you know, having Dennis, who's probably a little bit more defensive right back um, along the uh, the other usual three will be uh, quite important, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think Adoy um should be starting. Steve Sassignon, obviously, good international appearance for the under-21s and also just generally had a very good start for us. But I, I think against a side-like stuff, we might need that extra bit of muscle and experience that Adoy can provide. Interesting your thoughts on knockout. Don, I'll go to you with that one. Would you replace knockout for uh, Reed in this scenario? Because usually at the moment, it's been Cavalera for Reed. I mean, is, has knockout like, actually done anything to sort of, you know, lose his place for this game slightly, would you say?
4: No, I don't think he's lost his place. I, I think uh, it's actually a really interesting and not a bad uh, lineup or, or way to set the team up that, that uh, Morgan's talking about there. I would do things a little bit different on this one. Um, and, and I'll give you a quick background of why, uh, what I want to do and why I want to do it. So if you look at Stoke City, I went back and I looked at their last several games and they basically have been doing two formations. Number one, they either parked the bus, and it's just an old-fashioned 4-4-2, and that's what they did against uh, uh, Nottingham Forest, and it was unsuccessful for them. Or what they've actually done the last two games is they set up in a four, one, two, one, two, which, you know, basically you're playing really narrow down the middle, uh, and, and you're trying to just kind of go for it kind of thing, which I understand, you know, them doing that against Huddersfield. I think, you know, they had a good chance against uh, another team, not far off from them, but I was really surprised that they did it against Swansea. And in the last minutes of the match, they pulled it off and they got a goal. So good for them. Impressive. But I also think it was kind of lucky. So for me, if they set up like that, or even if they set up parking the bus I changed the whole thing up and I would go like what Morgan was kind of alluding to in the beginning. I'd set up like we did in the second half where we just have three in the back and I'd leave knock card on and I'd bring Bobby Reed back in. Okay. And I go more attacking. We're at home. We're against a team at the bottom of the, uh, the table. Let's just pound them. I say, go for it. And let's hit them hard. And the reason I set up like this, you know, and I'll even give you the players, I would do, like I said, the three in the back, obviously Betts and goal. Moss and Reem, Brian. I drop Steven. No, nothing against him or anything. I just – I drop him. And the reason I drop him is so Bobby Reed can come on. I put Harry Otter in front of him. I want him to clean things up. Make sure that, you know, if we need a fourth in the back, he's there to help. Four in the middle, Knockhart, uh, Steph Joe, Tom Canney, Ivan. Get us some width. And then up top, I actually would like to see Bobby Reed play with Metro, play off of Metro. And in the last couple games where you see Bobby Reed, he's always in the box. He was kind of like, I said this before, Orion Sess, who was looking for that ball, and he was ready to be picking up the crumbs and making something happen. So I really like the way he plays and he gets into the attack, especially in the box. So I don't think it'd be a bad idea to have... Somebody playing off Metro, and you know, feed Metro even maybe a little better. So that's my thoughts. Just three, one, four, two, Sess on the bench, bring on Bobby Reed, let him attack and go for it.
1: All right. Okay. Three, one, four, two. I mean, that sounds kind of similar, actually, to the sort of three at the back formation that we had at the World Cup uh, last uh, last year with England, with Sterling and Kane up top. And actually, I mean, that could very much. I think, it, you know, I never thought that three at the back is something we'd actually see again. I know it's something that Scott Parker adapted to quite well for using in the most recent games, but I never thought we'd actually it would be a strength of ours, especially after the horror show that was last season. But I think that's a very good idea, and I, I mean. Let's talk about the sort of we haven't seen these guys for quite a while, and the last time we saw them, Mister Morgan, we were hammered four-one at this stadium, and they relegated us. So it's a bit of a bit of an Avengers mission happening right now. I mean, are you are you still bitter? I mean, were you there at that game live, or I mean, what were you doing when we were relegated by that bloody Stoke? I
0: I, I do remember exactly what I was doing. Um, I I wasn't there. Um, I was uh, it was a friend's birthday. And we'd been out for the whole day. And I just got really, really drunk. Um <laughs> I had some I had some other bad news during the day and I remember that uh plus uh us being relegated and I just thought, you know what? Just went to hell for leather. Don't remember anything after about eight PM that day. And yeah, I woke up the next day, I was like, is it real? It's real. It was uh yeah, double hangover. But I think in terms of, you know, I think by that point, I don't think it was a, a shock. I don't think we can uh, have too much uh, beef with uh, Stuck sending us down that day. And no. I think that was, the day, that was the day that Dan Byrne played right back, wasn't it? So I think it uh, was, yeah. And he, you know, um, and he, may, he may be this uh, new sort of superhuman defender for Brighton, but he certainly isn't a right back for anyone. And no. I think when we went down, it was just like, fine, okay. But, you know, a lot of things have changed since then. It's... Uh, It'll be interesting to see how Stoke recover from their bad starts of the season. And I think when you look at a team like that who have spent you know quite a few years in the Premier League, they've come down, they've had a bit of restructuring, they bought in a young English manager, and then they find themselves at the foot of the league, you know, 10 games in or how far we're in. It's, they're in an interesting position. And I think the Stoke board themselves have been very patient, unlike a lot of uh, chairmen – they would have fired Nathan Jones by now, but they've they've given him time. He's got that win. Now, are they so patient that a loss to Fulham will see him keep his job? Because we all know that we are the Grim Reaper for a lot of managers. Uh, you yeah. lose to Fulham, you lose your job. So I think they're going to be the players are going to be fighting for their lives. The manager is going to be telling them they're fighting for his job as well. So I think. We, we need to go there and get the win. We need to turn these draws into wins. But at the same time, they are going to be fighting. And I think it's going to be a good game. Um, I reckon there's going to be a lot of frustration through it. Um, so, yeah, we shall see how it goes.
1: Well, you know, you mentioned we are the Grim Reaper for managers. And uh, I remember we were the Grim Reaper. Well, almost. We pretty much sealed the deal for Mark Hughes. And I think when I remember us getting relegated by Stoke, I think it was uh, Mark Hughes being the manager that really added the bitterness on the tongue for me and especially an excellent stoke display delights mark hughes is the video preview message as i'm looking at the result here which is just awful but yeah i mean i completely agree and i think it's it's a funny one with nathan jones because you know they they went for a manager who has this very sort of attacking they went it was it's it's very hard to change a style to go from gary rowett to nathan jones is always going to be a tough a tough situation um, what are your thoughts on this mr dunn with nathan jo- with nathan jones but also just generally uh, the business with stoke and if you have any
4: i don't have any bitter towards him i mean we we were awful so yeah the, the writing was on the wall you know there, there's nothing we could do i will uh, correct myself real quick earlier i said we were going to be at home i know i, I realized we're going to be away i still would not change my lineup or, or how we play uh, as to nathan jones i was just reading an article that uh, stoke brought in uh what is his name again he's a hero his name is jonathan walters they brought him in to do the u18 uh team uh you know because he, he just recently retired and they are already calling for him to step up and become their head manager so you know they're, 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 the right. the manager's head is on the chopping block and if he doesn't continue with another win or a positive result i could see him gone very soon uh you know, so maybe we end up being their boogie team instead of uh, their, them being the one that causes our managers to be fired. So I, I wish it's always the way. Guy... It's,
0: always, it always, it's always the way you get, a, you know, a club legend, in inverted commas, uh, come back to the club or, you know, manage one of the youth teams. As soon as you start doing badly, all the fans just want to see him in the hot yeah. seat. And it's, you know, we had it with Kit Simmons, yeah, which is apparently how you pronounce his name after last last weekend is it really Sunday, well yeah because Ivan Berry they had Chris Coleman and Kit on the pitch and he was calling him Kit Simmons and everyone was kind of what? like what is it Simmons you don't think he was just being, being was polite
4: not correcting him
0: well, I don't know but if it, if it is Simmons you know for the last how long what 20 odd years <laughs> Be his name wrong. <laughs> but uh yeah so he you know there was a situation obviously with um when Magat was gone, you know, bringing in uh, Mr. Simmons, Simons. And uh, that's, it gets the fans energised again. And it is those things. It may, may not be the most tactically sort of uh, on point manager. And I'm talking about Walters here, not just uh, Simmons, but it's just, it's one of those that reinvigorates the club having a a legend take the, uh, take the hot seat. So, you know, if, you know, the situation does arise, I mean, it doesn't really bother me after Saturday, but Will the Stoke fans still be behind Nathan Jones if we go one nil ahead, or will it be that turning point that goes, you know what, let's let's clear out this manager, we're going to get the new guy in, and uh, you know, just let the game go, I guess. But I don't think the players will do that.
1: I mean, I don't think we can really afford to have another draw. I mean, of course, I know it's only October, but don't I mean, we we, we need to actually get three points and not a draw we can't keep saying oh that's a good point away from home anymore can we
4: no no and here's the thing we've played uh several of the teams that are more towards the mid and the top table okay now our next three games including this one we're going after teams that are more towards the bottom of the table and if we can't get positive results against these teams uh at the bottom of the table get the points that we need now it's just going to make it that much harder later on when we're playing the teams that are on form and are at the top of the table. So next three games to me are very important. All three of them should be winnable games that we get our, our three, all three points, you know, and that pushes us up into the top four, top five.
1: Hopefully. I mean, ho- I mean, what would you say, Morgan? Would you, out of the next three games, we have Stoke, Borough and Luton. I think it's in that order. It might be the wrong way around. But would you say, how many points would you take from those next three games as acceptable for a team aiming for automatics? Well, we've got to be getting seven points from those three games. I think Mm.
0: we need to... One of Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough's uh, the third of those three. Uh, We've got Luton midweek next week. So we need to be beating Luton at home. I mean, that's, you know, uh, all fairness to Luton. They've come up and done pretty well. But if we're going to be sort of pushing promotion, you have to be seeing those teams off. Middlesbrough, you did have a bit of a mixed start. I think um, Woodgate's kind of getting it together there in the same sort of situation whereby, you know, having a lot of draws as well, I think. But I can see us getting a draw out of either the Stoke or the Middlesbrough game, but we need to be winning two of them. So, So there we go. But if we get seven points out of those three, I'd be satisfied. But we look at those three games. If we are candidates promotion, we should be getting nine.
1: Yeah, completely, completely agree. Um, I think nine points is a must for sure in the situation we're in because there's only um we can only say so many times that a draw is acceptable and it's starting, it could start slipping away from us quite quickly. We had some results that we're very fortunate with a few weeks ago. All right, guys. Well, look, now it's one of my favorite times. Thank you to the wonderful Matthew Arter. We're going to do my favorite musical, which is Stats. Now, let's quickly have a look. Guys, before I go into some statistics of, you know, our history of Stoke and our win record, all this kind of thing, I'd like you to maybe pinpoint a couple of key men that we should be looking out for in this game. And Don, I'll go to you first. I mean, who's someone that we uh, should really be watching or getting, you know, Johansson to give a really firm tackle to in this game? Well,
4: a good one for for me, if it's going to be uh, a Steph Joe moment, a classic Steph Joe moment, where you know he lets everybody know, "Hey, I'm here, and <laughs> I ain't going to let you score." I guess you you have to take out their midfielder. Uh, how do you say his last name? Sam Sam uh, Klukas. Cl- Klukas. Okay, yeah, Klukas. Yeah. Right. Uh, he is played in i think uh almost all their games i believe and i think he's kind of up there as their leading scorer not like they have a lot of goals but uh that's the guy who i want steph joe to you know a little shithousery i'm okay with it
1: god i love him so much uh johansson not you Um, done i love you too though it's fine i was gonna say come on
4: how do you not love me
1: (laughs) <laughs> of course, I love you, uh, Mister Mister Morgan. Anyone else that we should be keep eye on? I know the bottom of the table, but I mean they have got some players still left over from that amazing. Seat. Well, I don't know if they do now. I mean they bought Adobe and all those players when they got relegated, but they they have made some interesting buys recently.
0: Yeah, I think um, one of the ones we got to watch out for is uh, Scott Hogan, who they got on loan from yes. Aston Villa uh, at the beginning of the year. He Scored, uh, I think he scored three goals uh, so far. He's he kind of went to Villa with a lot of promise. I mean, he did pretty well at Brentford at his time there. And before that, he was at Rochdale. And he didn't really cut it at Villa, but he's come. He was at Sheffield United, I think, big uh, turn of the year. But then he sort of he went to Stoke uh, in the summer on loan. But he's a, he's a decent striker. He's He's not particularly big, but I think he's quite quick. And we've just got to be careful of sort of guys who, you know, not, like I said, he's not on a metro kind of scoring run, but he's on, you know, he's he's half decent. So they're going to be giving the ball to him and got to be careful if Reem's slightly, you know, still tired from a lot of traveling. And so it's we've got to keep an eye on him. But at the other end of the pitch, their goalkeeping situation is pretty interesting. Yeah. Because they've kept Jack Butland, who is an England international. I mean, he's obviously not in the squad at the moment, but, I don't I don't think he is anyway. Um but he's had an absolute shocker this season and his confidence is all over the place by the looks, but and I think they've um they bought him uh bought in Adam Federici, uh, who was uh I guess he was at I think he was at Bournemouth last year. Um but he's been pushed out. And uh, actually no, I don't think he was at Bournemouth, he was somewhere. But he um, kind of a bit of a journeyman keeper. But he's mm. come in. I think he's he's definitely pushing Butland for the number one spot. But I mean that's a real fall from grace for Butland. Um, so whether mm. it's you know things going on in his private life, or whatever, or if he's just really having that time in a keeper's life where you know a little bit of confidence and everything starts going wrong for him. So I think mm. we need to, regardless of who the keeper is, I think we need to get a lot of shot, a lot of shots in. Um, you know, don't spend too much time constantly trying to work the ball into the box. And, yeah, I think
4: yeah, it'll be
0: interesting. Um, well, but you know, one, those, one of the stats on that
4: goalkeeper is that he's always uh, letting a goal in every 42 minutes. Well, I'm hoping he lets a goal in every 15 for us.
1: Yeah, well, it could be. What's that? It could will be, be uh, yeah, 6-0. Uh, yeah. Well, that'd be nice. Well, I'll yeah. tell you what. So, I mean, I, I think the Jack Butlin thing, I mean, his. I mean, there's obviously still a very goalkeep- good goalkeeper living in there somewhere. but. I just think it's obviously, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent. But I think the, the problem with his confidence is that he's playing a bloody stoke. I don't know. I just think he had so much promise of returning to the Premier League soon. He's probably just completely caught up in the air with it at the but, moment. One of those things, when, when you're a keeper, and this is kind of what I think, is kind of if you're playing for a team, then
0: you're kind. it's very individualistic being a goalkeeper. You know, obviously, yeah. if you're constantly exposed by shit centre-backs, then... Yeah, more chance than not, you're going to concede at least a couple of goals a game. But some of the goals that he was conceding were just simple errors. Now, regardless of the team that you're playing for, you should be stopping those. And he should be one of those keepers that is you know, not single-handedly taking Stoke up the table, but making sure that, um, you know, they are in contention for at least the playoffs. And that's kind of one of those players that the fans have be looking at going, yes, thank God we kept him. and But now they're looking at him going, I think he just needs to leave and we we'll get some freshers.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if he's conceding that many errors, I hope, you know, I wonder how much of a hard time he's getting than poor Marcus Bettinelli got got from some of our fans as of late. Well, but see, any- that's the thing, you know, you forget no, about Bettinelli. It's great. That's it. Well, look, I mean, I mean, there's there's another interesting stat before we dart off that, you know, none of their defenders have played more than seven out of 11 games so far. And one of them includes someone we were looking at, Cameron Carter Vickers, you know, one of your men, Don. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it does look like it could be in our favour, but who knows? Maybe that win has given them a bounce. But I'm sure we have a team that can just completely outmatch this squad now. And yeah, just, just to see all this off, I mean, like another interesting stat from Mr. Arter is that none of the defenders have played more than seven out of 11 games so far. You have Danny Bath, Liam Lindsay, Bruno Martins, Indy, uh, sorry, beg your pardon, <clears throat> you have Danny Bath, Liam Lindsay, Bruno Martins, Indy, and Cameron Carter-Vickers, one of your lot, done. who someone actually we were trying to get off of Spurs on loan, all started games, have all started games at centre-back. So any combination could play us on Saturday, which means, you know, we've really... He should be there for the taking. This team, we really should. With the team that we have, we should be winning this. Three at the back, four at the back, whatever you want to do. And you know, the last time we faced up, we lost four one. But I remember one of the shining lights in that was Scott Parker. He was actually very good in that game for us. And I hope that will sort of be very symbolic for his return. And he'll be a complete master show for us tactical wise. All right, then, guys. Well, I mean, look. You know, can go through stats all day long but let's just have a little score prediction i mean i think actually it's not about me it's about you guys first mr morgan what is your score prediction for this game uh
0: i think it's gonna be a tough game but i think the way we play will eventually break down stoke and i don't think they'll have the quality to fight back i think uh i think it'll be two
1: one two one right and for you mr don
4: okay so Playing the way I want to play with three in the back, we're constantly attacking. I think we're going to have a slow start. We just always do, it seems like. But before the first half, we're going to get first goal. Come back, second half, we're going to get two more goals. Three zero final score.
1: Fantastic. All right, I'm going to go for three one. I just feel like there's a sort of dodgy set piece from them that they're going to win. But I, I, I'm confident we can get the three points from this. And if we don't, then I really think we need to start thinking about, you know. God help Morgan's wife for getting him out of the gutter when he's drinking that night. Is all I can say. It's, it's going to be heavy. Yeah, be heavy. Absolutely terrible. Now, thank you very much, guys. I mean, actually, we've got a bit of good news quickly to sign us off with. Um, I think actually, yeah, Morgan, you showed me something um on the screen just a second ago. Um, nothing, nothing naughty or anything. Just, just, uh, just, 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 <laughs> just You saying just, that wouldn't be good news? No, 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 no. no just, just, oh, go, no, let's just, not pick the pod there. Tell, tell, the, tell the millions and millions of listeners what you just showed me. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, it's uh, one thing that we do have is a very strong youth team, it turns out. And oh, well, during the international break, um, the under-18s beat West Ham's under-18s 5-1. And good to know, we're actually top of the South uh, Premier League South under-18s league at the moment. Uh, oh, nice. Still early doors, but, you know, we sort of, we're up at the top. Uh, in a league that contains Chelsea, West Ham, Arsenal, um, Leicester, and Spurs, and that is a really good sign for uh, for the youth team. And the guy who uh, you know, one guy who scored four goals in that game was Jay Stansfield, who you know we were just talking about as uh, he was the guy that we signed, I believe, from Hartlepool. Uh, and caused a little bit of con- controversy but good Just to know not. that he sort of seems to be a seems to be a decent player anyway uh, which might sort of explain why Hartley Paul were quite pissed off at him leaving but no i think that's a, it's good to see you know our under 21s or whatever they are the under 23s now not doing so well uh,
1: but good to see that the under 18s are flying the flag for us yeah and look that's obviously controversy aside it's very good to see the youth academy being well, doing so well and you can see really where, where the cons have shoved a little bit of extra money not just on transfers for our first team well excellent guys excellent and I've got to say as well this has been so nice to speak to you both I haven't spoken to you in ages it's really nice alright thank you very much to my co-host for that lovely Stoke preview we will see you again on Monday to review the Stoke win hopefully and in the meantime if you'd like what you hear please tell your friends about us we are on Facebook we have our own website fullandfocus.com we are on Twitter we are on Instagram Just find us. We're absolutely everywhere and we always love your support. Thank you very much again to my co-host. We will see you in a few days' time. Come on, you whites. See you soon.